Thank you, Brad. Brad has a great quirky sense of humor. I find myself drawn into it around the office oftentimes. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? It's wonderful. It lights up a room, but I'm also learning some people don't get our genius humor, right? Is that right, Brad? Connie and I are going to be having an interesting conversation this morning, and before we do that, I want to make a few comments. We're a church on mission with Jesus, and today is a day for celebrating several things that Jesus has done among his people, including this local church. It's Reformation Sunday today. How many of you knew that? And it's the Sunday after All Saints Day, and it's the 42nd birthday of our Lord's Community Church today. <laughs> Lots of celebrating. And today we are actually going to look at a particular person and celebrate her life. We'll be back to that in a few minutes. I want to make a, a comment about last Sunday. Some of you were here, many of you, for Mike Milner's message. And I'm, we're grateful to Mike for talking about the Alpha Course and for helping us as a church make a missional turn. And by that, we mean that we are going to uh, share the gospel with as many people as we possibly can in the coming days and weeks. We want to share what God's doing among us with people outside the walls of the church, don't we? I, I want to make sure that we're clear that we are not becoming an alpha church. What do I mean by that? I'm not even sure what that would mean, right? <laughs> or a seeker church. Some other churches were mentioned as Mike was talking. He mentioned Life Church and some other churches. We're our lords. And so I just want to make that abundantly clear that we're doing Alpha here, and that is a course that reaches outside the walls of the church. That's a really important thing that we can do, but it's not the main thing, is it? It's one of many, many things that Jesus is calling us to. Would you agree, church? So I just want to make that abundantly clear that we, we've been doing this for 42 years. Some of you have been here for most of that time. Some of you have been here. New. We're about the great commandment, love for God, love for people, and we're about the great commission, right? Alpha Course is one way of doing that, sharing the love of Jesus, sharing the truth of God's word with, with people. So are we clear on that? Yes, all right. Um, we're also committed here at Our Lord's, one of the things that we value is the priesthood of all believers, speaking of the Reformation. In 1 Peter 2, uh, the Apostle Peter talks about that. If you are a Christian, you're a member of the body of Christ, you are a priest. The Holy Spirit has anointed you and dwells you, and you are called to minister to God and minister to God's people and to the world. And this was something that Martin Luther discovered, rediscovered in the 16th century. So today, we're celebrating the Reformation, the last Sunday each October. And this is when Protestant churches all over the world, think about this for a moment, all over the planet, Protestant churches are celebrating what happens on the day 1517. Martin Luther nails 95 theses or arguments to the door of a church in Germany at Wittenberg to reform the church. So that's what we're here today celebrating. And there are millions of Christians all over the world on every continent celebrating this moment. So along with 
celebrating the Reformation. We're celebrating All Saints Day. Some of us, this may be something new. Some of us are familiar with that. Essentially, all that is is celebrating God's people. God has been working for several thousand years, but it's an opportunity for us to look back over our rich history and celebrate the life of someone. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at a saint. Yes. Well, Hebrews talks about that great cloud of witnesses. And so All Saints Day is remembering the great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. So we're going to pick one person out of that cloud and talk. And it's not Martin Luther. It's not Martin Luther. (laughs) That's right. We're going to talk about Luther. But one particular person that we're going to celebrate today is a woman named Teresa of Avila. She is a woman who lived in the same era that Martin Luther did. She lived in 16th century Spain, and she devoted her whole life to loving Jesus, loving people, and seeking to reform the church. Okay, well, so that leads us to our first question, and I get to pelt Brock with questions this morning, most of which he will be able to answer, I'm sure. Um, but the first question is, when we, we've been talking about prayer for quite a while, and so when we kind of landed on a person for today, Brock said, ah, Teresa of Avila. Why? Why did you land on her? Because this is not Martin Luther. We just talked about the Reformation, but we just slipped sideways into Spain and a woman who wasn't part of the Reformation. And we'll bring Luther back up in a minute. I think one is that she devoted her life to reforming the church in a different way. Luther tried to reform the church and it didn't go so well, did it? He was asked to leave officially, so he ended up starting the Protestant church, right? Teresa of Avila stayed within the church and said, I'm gonna seek reform within the church. So I think it's, it's an important example of seeing, seeing that. And also we're going to get a real glimpse into her life and kind of what she was about that actually does speak to us today. But first, tell us a little bit about her. So we're, we've said she's from Spain, but in the 1500s, so we're going back 500 years. So what was she like? What do we know about her? I also want to say another reason we picked her is because she impacted my life. Mm. And as I've talked to people at Our Lords, I've had some interesting conversations in recent weeks actually about Teresa of Avila. So I think there's a personal dimension to it as well. As I look back over 30 years of walking with Jesus, this is a particular person that has taught me much about Jesus, taught me much about prayer, taught me much about kingdom. In fact, you've called her one of your mentors. Yeah, yeah. Connie calls him my posse. So she came into my office several months ago and said, as she was looking at some of the paintings in there and icons in the book, she said, this is your posse, isn't it? And I said, that's exactly right. These are people that I've looked to for practical wisdom and encouragement. She's one of my posse. And she's one of them, and we'll find out why. Yes. So her dates are up there, 1515 to 1582. It's kind of difficult to see. If you want to put it on the, the next slide here, Those of you that are geography geeks, it's rather difficult to see, but you see the circle there in the yellow section, central Spain, you can see France, other parts in Europe up to the right. That's where she's from, it's central Spain. And she was an interesting person. Why don't we put up the next slide? You can see actually what she looked at as she walked around her hometown. So is this Avila that we're looking at? Avila, and it's a place of castles and stones and rich history. This was a medieval castle here. So she walked around this town 
praying, ministering, serving the poor, and this was an image that she had in her mind. She was a very sick person. She grew up in a very wealthy family, right? That's right. And she also struggled a great deal with illness as a teenager in her late teens. To the point of paralysis. She was uh, interesting. Her grandfather was actually Jewish. And so in 16th century Spain, lots of people were converting to Christianity because of the Spanish Inquisition. It's not a very good time in Christian history at all, but her grandfather actually converted from Judaism and became a Christian. So she's got Jewish heritage. Teresa's mother was a spiritual powerhouse. She was a devout Christian and really helped awaken Teresa to the beauty of the Lord. And from a young age, she wanted to go and be educated in a convent and serve Jesus and be, as she said, married to Jesus. She and her little brother even ran away once to go to Africa so they could be martyrs. They were like little kids at the time and their parents got them back very quickly. Uh, She also loved to read romance novels. This was when she was younger. She had this romantic spirit and she was into love and passion and these things. And she says she got older, she directed all that toward the Lord Jesus. He was the the one that she fell in love with yeah. and the one who met all those kind of adventuresome uh, longings in her. So she was educated by nuns and ended up entering a convent when she was in her early 20s. And so this is a very highly sensitive, imaginative, very devoted young woman. And tell us what happened to her there. Well, she actually ended up devoting much of her life to prayer as nuns and monks do. And the Lord began to teach her about prayer and about teaching other people. She became an avid spiritual director. She was actually friends with someone that you might be familiar with, St. John of the Cross. And so she uh, spent a great deal of time learning the scriptures, learning prayer, and learning to teach other people. And as she taught other people, occasionally some of her leaders would say, you have to write that down. And so we have various works that she's written. And we wanted to focus on one of them this morning, and that's a work called The Interior Castle, which she wrote toward the end of her life. And Brock, why did you choose to focus on this one thing specifically? Can you imagine? It's the time of the Spanish Inquisition. So if you committed something to writing, guess what happened? Ugly things could happen. People inspected it every single word, to see if there was anything problematic in it. So she resisted at first. She said, I'd rather teach people, I'd rather disciple, mentor in person, and her superiors actually said, what you are teaching is so good and transformative and life-changing and biblical, we want you to commit it to writing. So she really was, in a sense, forced to put the interior castle to writing. And what was it about the interior castle that made you say, ah, that for this morning for our Lords? I think if we can make this discovery, all right, here's the main takeaway from today. We're talking about someone from the 16th century, the interior castle, Schmashel. She had a revelation, an insight into the fact that we are the dwelling place of the Lord Jesus through the Holy Spirit. She realized that God is not found by searching somewhere out in deep space or the cosmos, or that if you're a follower of Jesus, that he takes up residence in your heart of hearts and you become a castle where the king dwells. 
So she was using this image of a castle, and we have a, a picture of it up there, of how Christ dwells within us. And she had this both with personal experience with prayer, but she also had a great many visions and revelations directly from God himself. So she had this vibrant life with God and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And some people would misunderstand some of the people like Teresa. She was steeped in the scriptures. She loved the word of God as much as Martin Luther did. We're going to talk about that in a minute. She just expressed it in a different way. And so this image actually comes from scripture itself. Maybe you can think about it for a moment. Somewhere in the gospels, where does Jesus talk about many mansions, the indwelling that Christ and the Father will come and indwell believers one day. That, that's what she's writing on. It's a meditation on John 14. So it's rooted in scripture. And so she develops this model to encourage people to keep on keeping on, to keep on praying, to keep on seeking Jesus, to turn inward where the Holy Spirit dwells and to find Christ the Lord there. What do you mean by a model, that she developed a model? Why don't we read this? And thankfully, you're reading this because I can't read it. I okay. don't have my glasses oh. on. So um, I can do is my it best. difficult to see there? Do we need to dim the lights on that? Could we dim the lights on that? Or is it just me with needing my glasses? So there we go. Ah, there we go. So she said, and these are quotes from her, let us imagine that within us is an extremely rich palace built entirely of gold and precious stones. Imagine also that in this palace dwells a mighty king. Do not think of the soul as insignificant and petty, but as an interior world containing beautiful mansions. In the center of the soul, there is a mansion reserved for God himself. So what does that say to you, Connie? Well, it says the model we're talking about is that she's giving us a picture of what the reality of my soul is like, and I'm hesitating a bit to say that because I don't see myself as an extremely rich palace containing beautiful mansions. So there's a disconnect between what she knew about her soul and what I know about my soul. So on that note, what would happen if each of us realized we're made in the image of God and that the king indwells you and that you are a rich, beautiful, glorious castle. What would happen if that really seeped into our minds and hearts and we got over self-loathing and, oh, I'm not worthy or I'm unclean, I'm dirty, don't you know my past? What if, church, we realized, like Teresa, meditating on the, the words of Jesus, said we're actually holy, glorious, beautiful castles because he indwells us. Paul said this, right? Colossians 1, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, we may be a castle under construction. Do we have any castles under construction in here? Yes, most of us here, all of us. So I think that's part of why she said that this journey is sevenfold. And it's a, it's a word picture. That's all it is. Christ taught in parables and word pictures. She's giving us a word picture. 
and saying that part of this journey inward to commune with Jesus, to deepen your friendship with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit takes time. And so it's a movement through different, what she calls dwelling places or mansions. The point is not to get stuck and try to figure out, Kelly, where are you? What mansion are you in? You know, I've been in mansion four for the last six years. That's not the point at all you're missing. The point is to keep on pressing in, seeking Jesus, growing in Christ-likeness, becoming his dwelling place. That's the whole point. And if we get buried in all the details, it becomes problematic. So what would be the entry point? You mentioned it's a journey. It's going somewhere. What's the entry point into that journey that she was talking about? Becoming a baptized believer. That for her. And if you could see this image a little more closely, you can see it's kind of a spiraling inward castle. And again, you saw the kinds of images that she viewed on a regular basis, daily. She grew up in a context where castles were all around her, so she took that in her biblical theological imagination and said, I'm going to come up with a model of prayer. So you, you become a Christian and then all through this castle, you can't really see it, but there are uh, monsters you encounter. Well, oh great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yippee. Spiritual forces that battle against us, temptation, sin, baggage. And so she talks about the journey begins at baptism. You become united to Christ in faith, you become united to his church, and the journey begins. So is this a journey of doing? Is it a journey of prayer? What, what am I actually engaging in? Great question. This is interesting. Teresa's a Catholic, right? Some of us are taught those Catholics don't really have a grip on grace. Anyone heard that before? Teresa did. So for her, this was a journey of grace. You can't become a Christian without grace. The irresistible grace of God draws you, and then this whole journey is an inward drawing of the grace and love of God. She does say we have to respond. Luther said the same thing. You respond to God. Grace knocks at your door. Grace woos us, and we say yes. So that's the journey is saying yes to the work of the Holy Spirit within us. And am I, is that prayer? What am I actually doing? Doing. Yes, different forms of prayer. And if you're interested in this, you can actually pull up a PDF online. You could do Teresa of Avila Interior Castle PDF. You could read the whole thing if you wanted to. Or you could do the same thing and say summary of the interior castle. It gets rather complicated, okay? Just like anything else, she devoted her life to this, so we, we can't get into all the details, but the point is you grow in prayer, right? Isn't that true? Teresa is saying that you grow in prayer, the grace of God through the Holy Spirit, through meditating on Scripture, through living life, the Lord teaches us. And so that's the essence, really, of what's going on here. And I think what has struck me is that um, I kind of grew up in a church with the idea of prayer being we give prayer requests and we pray for other people's prayer requests. And so that was kind of the model of prayer that I grew up with. Yeah. And she's giving us another picture of what prayer is, that it is a journey into the presence and encounter of God. And so it's even been interesting for me as we've been talking about Teresa to say, now what currently is my model for prayer? Do I think prayer actually takes me somewhere with God? Do I have an expectation that when I engage in prayer, 
I am going to experience and encounter an ever-increasing deepness into God. And I've realized I don't think I have that expectation that prayer is a journey that's taking me somewhere over time. So that's been challenging for me and really good for me. Another reason to study models like this. This is why I love my posse that's in my office. This is why I love books, reading old books, reading things that are 100, 500, 1500 years old because these people devoted their lives to studying scripture, to living scripture, and they give us models. I don't know about you, but is that more compelling that this week, if you were to pray and you think, I am going somewhere with God, in God, there's purpose to this. God is taking me somewhere. God is transforming me. I'm going, how much better is that than, hey, go have a quiet time. Work through a reading plan. Check the box. Say some prayer requests. Parade some people before God in prayer. Teresa says, no, you actually get to deepen communion, deepen friendship with Jesus as much as you want to. She leaves it up to us. The best is for all, but do you want it? And there is an element, she says, of us wanting and kind of taking the step that God is inviting us to. So there's this back and forth invitation and then response. It's as simple as what happens with Mary when she's told that the Messiah is going to take up residence in her. What does she say? May it be to me as you have said. Yeah, she says yes. So really that's the model of prayer for all of us. We read the scriptures, we interact with Jesus, and he speaks to us. And he may even say, hey, I love you because I think this about you. And it's difficult to hear because it's difficult to receive love from Jesus and other people, is it not? So part of saying yes is hearing him say, this is how I feel about you. This is how I view you. And this model helps with that. Well, I'm smiling a little bit ruefully because Brock had told me earlier that Teresa was steeped in the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ and that she called him my majesty. And this morning during worship, I was calling God my majesty. And I sensed Jesus calling me my dwelling. And I pulled back from it because it seemed a little bit too much. But you're saying to me, Connie, you have to say yes. When he calls you my dwelling, you have to say yes. I am. No matter what our past is, that's the beauty of it. We're castles under construction. Paul says the same thing. He says we're clay vessels, but we're filled with an infinitely glorious treasure, the gospel, the good news, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so Teresa's saying the same thing. And what's interesting is this didn't just lead her inward and leave her there, but this life moved through that inward into some really extraordinary outward activity. Very true. What did she end up doing? Let's look at the next slide here. You can see I've zeroed in on some of those inner chambers. Is it tough to see for some of you? Can you read it, Connie, since I I can't read it? Teresa invites Christians through grace-empowered prayer to ever-increasing intimacy and union with Jesus at the center of our hearts. Teresa's writings are rooted in and suffused with Scripture, 
She says that the words of Scripture act within us through the power of the Holy Spirit, empowering us to love God and others. The next slide here shows something. <laughs> Who's the dude on the left? Luther. Martin Luther. Martin Luther. So Teresa was two years old when Martin Luther nailed those 95 arguments to the door of that church. So they were living in roughly the same time, and she grew up in this era of religious shifting and turmoil. So how would you contrast her or connect her with Luther? I think what I began to see is I was teaching church history to undergraduates, and oftentimes people like this are pitted against one another. Line up. Are you behind Luther or are you behind Teresa of Avila and the Catholic reformers? And I said, you know what? The Holy Spirit was reforming the church. And the Holy Spirit continues to reform the church, to renew the church, to, to change us. And so I see great parallels. Yeah, there are irreducible differences between the two. But and the, they didn't like each other. Yeah, well, she, well, yeah, she didn't like yeah, him. She wasn't a big fan because she was trying to seek reform within the church. So yes, there are irreducible differences, but perhaps today they're somewhere having a conversation saying, hey, we were both committed to the same Jesus, to his body, to the church, to bringing the gospel to the world. And so I think there's a great reforming history and great reforming spirit that operates in both of them. And you, you mentioned it. Luther was highly active, wasn't he? I mean, he's out spreading the, the Protestant Reformation message, scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, calling the church to account. Her heart was broken over the corruption in the church as well. She just decided to stay in a convent and work from within. As a matter of fact, she planted nearly 20 spiritual centers of life, convents and monasteries. And this was all around Spain, and she did that. She was kind of involved in this life in God, but then in her 40s and on, she began doing this great leadership and planting work. So as you go in deeper where Christ dwells through the Holy Spirit, she says, you don't just stay there. That actually, if you encounter the indwelling Jesus, you will be propelled to go out into the world and to serve him. Some of her famous quotes, you know, she says, Christ has no other hands but yours, no other mouth but yours, no other feet but yours. So she discovered this. It wasn't either or. She was a contemplative reformer, a woman of prayer who was committed to seeing the church purified and grow, but she wanted to take the gospel out. She wanted to serve the poor. This got a hold of her. And she... Again, remember, this is the 1500s in Spain. She's traveling by donkey cart. She's traveling on foot. She's traveling over mountains, deserts, rocks, hills. This is pretty hard work, and she's not necessarily physically robust at the time. And she's expending herself and pouring herself out for the people that she's leading and to plant these places that minister to others. She's making disciples. Really. And, and there may be different language for it, but she's impacting the lives of fellow Catholic women and men. Why don't we look at some of the gleanings from... Yeah, from it's interesting. As I were, we were talking about this, I said, Brock, what do you think we really should take away from Teresa? What are two or three things that you want to leave us with to remember? First and foremost, and I've mentioned this, what's the first line there say? God's astounding love for us. We are the dwelling place of the Trinity. 
That's the main takeaway. That's what Teresa stood for. That's what the filament that runs through all of her writings. God loves us radically. And God takes up residence in us. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus says in John 14 and 16, he, is, he resides within us. That's the main takeaway. We are his dwelling. The next one is the privilege and power of prayer. God's grace, our persistence. Is prayer a privilege? Many of you are saying, as I am, some days. <laughs> Maybe fewer days than I would like to admit, but prayer is a privilege. And you notice the last word in that sentence there. It's God's grace, but it's our, our persistence. persistence. It's a big part of prayer. And Teresa would just say, please don't give up. It, it, prayer is hard work. Anyone else, anyone who says that it's not is not telling you the whole picture. Prayer is hard work. Responding to the grace of God that's always there is a challenge. It's difficult work. But don't give up. Keep persisting. Cooperate with the energy of divine grace inside of you. And the last one is being contemplative reformers. Love for God, church, and the world. This is one reason I wanted to highlight Teresa before our Lord's on Reformation Sunday, on the day after All Saints is because I want us to be contemplative reformers. We want to be people of deep prayer who give ourselves to Jesus and to discovering the fact that he indwells us individually, he indwells us collectively. And what happens as we encounter that? We are thrust into the heart of a broken world. Because that's where Jesus is going. So once you've made that connection with him, it's nearly impossible not to do what he's doing because you're compelled by love for him to go and be with him and do what he's doing. Oftentimes we like to say, oh yeah, that church over there, they're really about prayer, aren't they? They spend a lot of time praying, maybe mixing in a little fasting. Wow. Oh, this church over here, that, they're really about sharing the gospel, winning law. I think biblical New Testament Christianity is both, isn't it? We're committed to prayer. We fast. We seek Jesus. We pray the way that he taught us. But then we also catch his heart. He puts his heart within us, and we can't help but reach out to carry his kingdom, share with others. Yeah. I don't know about you, but this challenges me. It gives me a bigger picture, and it kind of moves me a step forward. So I appreciate knowing about her. She will make you feel uncomfortable, like any other great classic. You read C.S. Lewis, at some point you're going to feel uncomfortable. How about reading Jesus in the Gospels? There's some moments of discomfort, right? Same thing with Teresa. She challenges us, but it's all rooted in the love and grace and mercy of God. Why don't you read that last? Oh, the last one. So one of the reasons that we're up here is because we're working on the All Saints Center for Theology, Spirituality, and Leadership. So if learning about people from church history interests you, 
You can consider joining us. We have a new class starting a week from tomorrow on church history, and it's going to go through February. You can find either one of us for information or look at the All Saints website at allsaints.center, and we will be happy to give you information on it. I'm looking forward to this because I've actually started reading the book already, and it's already taking me new places that I haven't gone yet. And scholarships are available, as you can see there. Some of you have said, well, I don't have the the money, talk to us, all right? We have some funding and some opportunities, and we want as many people to study the scriptures and study church history and study the writings of people like Teresa of Avila to see, what is church history? It is the work of the Holy Spirit in history. Pretty fun. And I just need to mention, we're aware that the holidays are coming up, so just so you know, we're kind of we have our holiday awareness and kind of slowdown built into that schedule. So if you're interested, don't let the fact that it's November and holidays are coming stop you. This is going to be a really rich course. I think we're ending. It's not right. We're so sorry. We'll get our facts straight. So it is a week from tomorrow. I think it's the 12th. I don't know what date that is, but a week from tomorrow. We need to bring... Brad up here to clarify the dates, right? To do retro <laughs> we'll get him to do our facts for us. switching and these things. All right, yeah, get on the website. I think we're yeah. going to end with an exercise, yeah. aren't we? Yeah. So we have one last slide. And we just really sense that Jesus wanted to give us an invitation to start on that journey with him. And there's a passage that to me promises more than I can possibly imagine Jesus promising. But this is what he says. Jesus answered, those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. So Jesus is saying, the Father and I will come to you, and we will make our home with you. This fact of this dwelling place we're talking about is actually what God is doing in us. So we just wanted to open up some space to invite Jesus to speak to you through this passage as we pray this passage back to him and invite him as we keep his word to come to us and make his home with us. So why don't we close our eyes here. I'm going to read out a phrase at a time. Why don't you let this hit your ears, hit your heart. Again, this is what the early church did together. Meditate on scripture. I'm going to read a line and you take that and why don't you turn inward to Jesus where he dwells. You don't have to go outward and find him. He indwells you. Maybe he's even calling you for the first time today. Maybe you don't know the Lord Jesus. Maybe he's calling you to reach out to him today. Those who love me will keep my word. Jesus, we love you and we keep your word. We love you, Jesus, because you first loved us. We thank you for the word of God. Thank you for your word, Jesus. 
as a church, we thank you for the word of the Lord. We treasure you, Lord. We treasure you and we treasure your word. My Father will love them and we will come to them. Father, would you love us? Love us this morning in a way we can feel and experience. Come to us this morning. We receive your love, Father. Your love that is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We say yes. We receive your love, Father. Abba, Father. Your spirit testifies with our spirits that we are your children, that we're beloved children of the Father. And Jesus says, and we will come to them and make our home with them. People of our Lord's, Jesus wants to make his home with you for you to be his resting place. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We say, come and be at home with us. We cry out to you, and we say we need you, you. that we are not at home without you. So I'm going to ask you, just why don't you uh, just keep your eyes closed and why don't you, if you wish, tell Jesus that you want to learn more about being his castle. Say, Jesus, teach me what it means to be your castle and how I can deepen communion with you in the center of my heart. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we love you. We celebrate you. We celebrate the word of God today. We celebrate the passion that you have for your church, the reformation, the renewal of your church. We thank you for the life of someone like Teresa. Thank you that we are saints. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are holy ones because you live within us. We love you and we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus.